Hey everybody, this is Jim from faithtestedbyfire.com, and you are listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. Hey everybody, this is Jim. Thanks for joining me today. Um, Today I want to talk to you about a few things. I'm going to read from the uh, book of Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse number 27. I'm talking about the subject of truths that transform Getting a little bit deeper today, maybe, than I did the last time I talked about this subject. But it was very popular. I got a lot of response uh, from this, from people. But let me start here in the 27th verse in the book of Galatians, the third chapter. It says, For as many as you have been been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. The word baptism there, even if you didn't know what the word means exactly in the Greek, and which you can look it up, just like you can look up any other word. Uh, If you have a concordance or an online uh, concordance or dictionaries, you can look these words up for yourself. But uh, if you're familiar with water baptism, um, and and I don't want to split hairs about full immersion versus partial immersion and, you know, things like that, and, and get into the letter of the law on the topic, but You know that John baptized people originally um, in the river, in the River Jordan, and uh, the people came to him, and that immersion was symbolic of a turning point in their life. It wasn't the immersion that caused the turning. It was the choice to do it that signaled that a change had happened inside, and that was the outward action, the the baptism. That was the ceremony, so to speak, uh, that indicated that that person had made the change. So, you know, it says in the, um, in the Gospels that he who believes and is baptized shall be saved, and he who believes not shall be damned. Um, so, and that can't be talking about water baptism, and it's not. Because, you know, the Bible says we're saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, so not of works, lest any man boast. So, a uh, Outward work can't save you, so it can't be talking about the physical act that you do, right? Baptism of saving a person. So, you know, you can take a scripture out of context, but when you compare it with other scriptures and there appears to be a contradiction, then you have to re-examine your original position. So it says in the book of Galatians, by one spirit, you have been baptized into one body. So that's saying the Spirit is actually doing the baptism. So there was one baptism that John did. You know, the Bible talks about the Israelites being baptized unto Moses in the Old Testament. It talks about the baptism of John in the Gospels. And then as it goes on, it talks about other baptisms, other immersions, so to speak, to be immersed in, to be identified with, to be connected with. These are all um, outward symbolic things that indicate something, that give us a visual of something that's happening in the invisible world. Does that make any sense? So the, see, the things that we see visibly um, are a shadow of the things which are on the other side. And so God's given us these things. Jesus spoke in parables. He used uh, things that people could identify with, like planting seeds and farming and harvest and things like that to explain what was happening in a dimension that they couldn't see. So does that make sense? So rather than get caught up with the word 
baptized, which some people do, um, look at who's doing, who's performing the baptism or who you're being baptized to so that you can separate one baptism from another. For example, Jesus said, are you able to, talking to his disciples, be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? He was immersed in suffering, baptism of fire. And they said, yes, we're able to. And he said, yes, very, you, and so you shall be. So um, let me look that up quickly. Let me just give you a, a scripture uh, reference on that. Okay, that reference is in Matthew uh, chapter 20. This is when uh, James and John's uh, mother, in the 20th verse, says the mother of Zebedee's sons, James and John, came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asked something of him. And he said to her, this is Jesus, what do you wish? And, he, and she said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? So obviously he wasn't talking about drinking from a literal cup, although they did drink from the cup at the Last Supper, but so did everybody else. He wasn't talking about being dunked underwater or fully immersed or anything like that. He meant to be connected to in a uh, a way that's deeper than probably we can put into in the English language or maybe any other language of this earth. And they said to him, we are able. So look into the response. And he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give but it is for those for whom it is prepared by the Father. So notice that here, that th this is saying, are you able to do this? And they said, yes, we're able to. And he said, you'll drink from the cup. Remember, Jesus said, Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. He wasn't talking about the literal cup with the wine in it. He was, again, speaking symbolically. See, a lot of these scriptures are, are, are visible things that are symbolic of things which can't be seen. Does that make sense? So he was talking about his mission, going to the cross, taking on the sins, suffering on, so that others could be free, um, taking on the sins of others so that they could have his righteousness, that exchange, giving his wealth and taking on our poverty. So this was the exchange. You will indeed be baptized with this. And, and if you look at history, it shows that what followed in the life of the uh, twelve was a time of intense persecution, suffering, um, attacks from people within and from people without. Um, it was just, it wasn't easy. It was like living in a war zone. Absolutely, they had the peace of God. Absolutely, they had the power of God, but they were challenged every single step of the way. And that's what Jesus is saying. This is the baptism that you'll be baptized with. So from the moment that Jesus, I mean, Jesus was challenged continuously in his ministry, but after the Last Supper, after he took that cup, then everything changed. Then it was like all hell was unleashed against him. But he overcame. And so what I'm talking about here is, again, this the symbolism, the, the baptism. Now, in the New Testament, it says that by one spirit, we have been baptized into one body. Now, here 
It isn't a baptism that's John, that John is doing. It isn't a baptism that the disciples are doing. This is a baptism that the Spirit is doing. The Spirit is baptizing us into Christ. So when you read verses like this, um, it says then, let's uh, read this, Galatians, back to Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. It says, For many, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> so realize that the people that they were talking to at the time, if you were Jewish, you were seen as being higher than if you were a Gentile or a Greek in, that, in the society. So, so the Jews were considered, they considered the sons better. They were not ungodly. And, and you can, when you read the Gospels, you can see how that, that pride affected the religious people of the day, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the the religious people of the time. It's no different than today. But see, here it says, in Christ, if you've been baptized into Christ, this is the baptism that the Spirit does when you believe. Now, there's another baptism that happens. See, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. It can't be talking about a work that we do. This is a work that God does. We believe and he baptizes us through the Holy Spirit into Christ. Now, there's another uh, baptism that Christ does. It talks about it in the book of Acts, where he says, um, the, um, Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So after the Spirit baptizes you, there's, a, there's steps here that you can see happening, right? Some we take, some they initiate. And, and initiate. So we may initiate water baptism after we believe, I mean, that's after the Spirit's already baptized us into the body. We do an outward baptism un in water. That's what they did in the New Testament. And then there is a baptism that Jesus himself does when he baptizes you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And that gives you the ability to overcome sin. That, gives, that puts power into your life. For example, in the book of Acts, when they went to some Gentile believers, um, Paul said, Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said, no, we haven't even heard that there be a spirit. And he laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost and spoke with tongues. So that's the other type of baptism. So Jesus breathed on them at the conclusion of the Gospel of John and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He, the Spirit baptized them into Christ. And then after that, he had another baptism waiting for them in Jerusalem. He said, don't leave until you receive the Spirit. So what was he doing? Was he doing the same thing? No, he was doing something different. He was giving them the power to live in the Spirit, the power to have something that they didn't have on their own. Now, all this power, uh, it's not like we control it, right? So think about it like this. In the natural world, there's power here, but we really don't control it. We more or less direct it. So if we want light in the room, we turn on the switch. You know, but that's basically all we do. So we can't be proud and say, hey, look what I did. I turned on the light, right? So unless you're an electrician and you laid the lines and you did all that and you hooked everything together, you make sure all the circuits were, were connected and working properly, unless you were developing the, um, the hardware and the software and all the things down at the power and light station, unless you did all that, you can't brag that you have light in your house. So it's the same thing with being in Christ. We can't brag about anything. Because we've been saved by grace, unearned favor, by faith, not, not of ourselves, it's the gift of God. The faith to believe is a gift.
the grace that saves is a gift. All these things work together. Jesus said to his disciples in the Gospel of John, without me, you can do nothing. So, yeah, we do the equivalent of water baptism. We do the equivalent of laying our hands on people and say, in Jesus' name, be healed. We do the equivalent of asking the Father for the things that we have need of in Jesus' name. We do the equivalent of speaking to the mountain and believing. But the actual one that causes things to come to pass, that causes everything to work, isn't us, <laughs> right? It's all God. So no man, no man can take credit. And, and, and that happened in the original church. Even in the book of Galatians, in the very first chapter, as long as we're there, we might as well look at it. And uh, what he said was that, uh, who has bewitched you? He's in chapter 1, verse 6, he says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace or unearned favor of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there are some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. So here's the thing. Um, what we receive, we, we receive by grace through faith. Even the, the faith itself isn't something we can work up in and of ourselves. We can work up head faith, but, but head faith isn't mountain-moving faith. It's only heart faith it is. And as far as the, the truths that transform that I want to focus on today, that's what I want to talk about, that what the Bible calls the uh, hidden man of the heart. Because we just read here that in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female, in other words, you're not a lesser believer. There's no such thing as lesser believers, right? There are a group of people that God has called the, the sons of God in the New Testament, the children of God, the family of God. And it doesn't matter what you are according to the physical body or your natural standing in society. It all has to do with the spirit that dwells inside of you. The Bible says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. The Bible says that we, if the spirit of Christ that raised Christ from the dead also dwell in you, think about that. The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is dwelling in us. The Bible calls us, the church is, is literally means the called out ones. Together, um, we have those who are in heaven and those who are here on earth, God's people called out from the uh, darkness, called out from the world. We're not talking about the world meaning like the physical earth and the things that we can see, but, but the, the people, the people. And so what, what's happened over time that I've seen is and, and especially here in, in the Western part of the world, we've, in, we've tried to intellectualize spiritual things, and it, it, just doesn't, it just doesn't work well. You know, for example, um, Jesus said to Peter, after people were debating who Jesus was, he said, who do you say that I am? And he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, this is what Jesus said, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven, blessed are you. You know, so um, one other example, um, and we're talking about the inward man, the spirit man. You know, that, that's the real you, the inward you. You know, the reason why sometimes you have more problems than maybe you should is because you lean a little too heavily on your own understanding, 
See, the Bible says to lean not to your own understanding, but acknowledge God in all your ways, and he will direct your paths. We plan our ways, but the Bible says God directs our steps. That's obvious God's not directing everybody's steps because not everybody wants to be directed by God. And, and so what I've noticed over, over time is that there is an inner man, the real me, and there's the mind part of me, the, the soulish part of me. And sometimes my head is telling me to do things that deep down in my heart, my heart's telling me to do something else. Sometimes my head is telling me to go full steam ahead and take all these actions, but my heart is not telling me to do that. In other words, my heart and my head aren't in agreement over, over things all the time, and neither are yours. And what I noticed happens is, is that when you're in a place, again, talking about truths that transform, not just pulling out these scripture verses and reading them so you have more information. There's plenty of books out there, plenty of people preaching messages. I'm talking about when you get right down to it, what are the things that create practical change in your life? And this is one of them is that learning to listen to your spirit, learning to listen to your heart, learning to listen to that prompting that happens deep down on the inside of you. And it's not always easy to do that. It's not easy to do that because we've trained our head at the expense of our heart. Now, I started learning how to live from the heart um, years ago, and I didn't put as much energy into that as I did getting the information. Because the people that I talked to, they wanted to know um, things like, you know, what, what does the Bible say to do in this situation? Or what do you think God wants me to do? Or what? And, and everything was brought from the, from the spiritual world into a natural, visible world where 2 plus 2 equals 4. Because that's what people really want to hear. They don't want to hear um, to be still. They don't want to hear to quiet themselves and they'll hear God. They'll, I mean, they'll do it, but there's a lot of impatience there. People are not patient when it comes to uh, wanting problems solved or, or waiting to see results. And so I'm gonna, let, me, let me explain this to you in a way that brings it down even further. When it comes to the relationships that you have and the people in your life, have you ever had a, just a heart-to-heart -heart conversation? Now, maybe nothing was wrong. Maybe it was just uh, you talking with a spouse or a friend or, or, or somebody like that, somebody in your family. And you just opened your heart and you were honest and sincere about what you were talking about. Maybe you had questions about something. Maybe something was bothering you. Or, or, or maybe you just felt, you know what, everybody's talking but nobody's listening. And you have one of those conversations where both of you are on the same page and you're both hearing one another and you're both listening to one another. Those times, unfortunately, are not as common or it's not as frequent as we would like them to be. But I know when you get up from a conversation like that, when you have something like that with somebody you're close to, it makes that relationship a treasure which you, uh, you hold on to uh, tightly. It's not something you want to lose. It's not something you want to let go. The value of that person goes so far beyond the monetary. It's the, that experience that you had when you were all, you want that to happen again. And, you know, sometimes these moments, a lot of times they come 
without pre-planning. You know, I, I remember being in at family events, sometimes large family events, not always um, my own family, but other, other families too. And it's just not happening. People just aren't clicking. Maybe people are agitated or they're distracted. And, and at the end, you think, this is such a waste because we actually sat here at the table and nobody listened. There was no real connection like there could have been. So maybe, you know, it happens during a holiday. And, and so as I've gotten older, I really uh, treasure and value those moments, those times when I can listen and nothing exists but that person in front of me. I'm not thinking about, they're talking too long and I need to go and do this. Or what time is it? Are they done talking yet? You know, it's none of that. It's just every word is, is of value. And it's, we're both benefiting from that moment, that connection, that conversation. It's, it's meaningful. And, and it affects you on a heart level. I guess that's what I'm trying to get at. It affects you on a heart level. So if you, if, you could, if you had to put a monetary value, right, that's something you can relate to, on that type of connection, it would be much higher than the standard talking to somebody. So have you ever tried to help somebody? Uh, maybe it's somebody that's discouraged, and, and you're talking to them, and at first there's not a connection, and then suddenly there is. And they appreciate you, and they value you, and... and it's, it's really, it's a wonderful thing. Well, that's the type of relationship that God, that Jesus, that the Holy Spirit want to have with us, those who believe. Right? He, I mean, Jesus died, the Bible says, for the sins of the world. But once you've entered in, once you've made that connection, once you have that spirit on the inside of you, that that is the next level that is the place where that if if you put that um let me let me give you another throw another few thoughts out there i remember when i was young i i grew up as an only child but you know there were certain times i wish i had an older brother or an older sister or even somebody my age or, or a little bit younger as a uh, companion you know a friend I had that but i didn't and I always thought, because I've always been close to my parents, I've always enjoyed their company, that, you know, there is a chance, because I didn't realize this, I just thought everybody had good relationships. I mean, I, in, instinctively, I knew they didn't. I saw that they didn't, but that was the norm for me, was a good relationship. Not, not that I didn't do stupid things growing up like every other kid did, but, um, you know, in my heart, that was something that was of value to me. Family was a valuable uh, my family was valuable to me always. I wasn't in a hurry to get up and move out and leave them behind. Let's put it that way. So I always thought, wow, if I had a brother or sister to have even another member, and then there would be four of us, and that would be great. But I learned when I got older, it didn't always work that way. And just because somebody's a brother or sister, sometimes you're not close, and sometimes you drift so far apart, you barely see each other again. That was something that I just couldn't comprehend how that happens, how that goes wrong. Um, even if there's jealousies growing up where one, you know, the oldest or the youngest is getting more attention or however that works out, you know, I guess 
deep down inside, I would like to believe that there is a doable way of pushing all that aside and that everybody connect together and, and enjoy one another's company instead of tolerate it and enjoy being together. So what I see is, you know, people get together, but they're not ever, they're not really together. They're apart, you know, watching TV or on the internet or going to do some of the things, but they're not actually talking. And the real valuable thing, the thing that makes relationships work is the communication, not just the physical presence. So when you think about it, Jesus had three people in his inner circle, but he had 12 people around him in his disciples, but only three were in the inner circle. And I used to wonder what, you know, if I was one of those disciples, I wonder if I would have been put in the inner circle or not. And it probably would have been up to me. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Would Jesus say, no, you can't come with us? I didn't, I, you know, I guess maybe there was some reason, but I really can't see it. I can see that James, John, and Peter were in the inner circle because they wanted to be in the inner circle. They wanted to be there. Now think about this. People talk about um, well, how good it would be if Jesus were physically here. You know, after the resurrection, their hearts were hardened and they didn't believe. Just like people today, they hear about the resurrection, but their hearts are hardened and they don't believe. I don't believe that. Why don't you believe that? Well, I just don't believe it can happen. You don't believe a resurrection can happen? Well, I guess kind of maybe sort of it can, but I really don't. And they don't want to talk about it. So sometimes when your heart is hardened, you don't even know why you reject what you're rejecting. You just do. It becomes normal, right? Sometimes people live with pain, and the pain becomes normal. They can't even imagine living without it. There's all th kinds of things that people do and, and ways that people live that really don't make sense. And the people themselves, not only can't they tell you, but they don't want to tell you. That, that's the sign of a hardened heart. So, you know, the Bible puts it this way. There's a cornerstone that's, that God set, and you'll either be broken by it or, or you will trip over this stone and be broken by it, or it will fall on you and crush you. <laughs> you know, so those who believe got broken by it. And it was a good breaking. It's kind of like your life has been reset in the way it was designed to go because it, it was what what you were what you were doing, what you were feeling, where you were going, it was all wrong. You just, because so many other people were going that way, you did, didn't bother to question it. You just felt there was safety in numbers, but it was a false safety. I'm sure the people that didn't get on the ark didn't get on there for a lot of reasons, not the least of which they didn't believe. But, you know, sometimes when reality just rushes in, all your beliefs are set aside, and then suddenly you, you awake to the truth. And unfortunately, sometimes it's too late. But I think about, you know, if, if you were there in that time, if you were around Jesus, you know, would you have rushed to sit down and talk to him? I mean, you, you say you would have, but think about it. If Jesus appeared in front of you right now and you sat down and you, and you spoke, with, I mean, what would, your, what would your initial response be? Would it be, oh my God, I've done... So many things wrong. I, I, I haven't, you know, my, my heart towards you has been cold. I'm sorry. I've been doing this wrong. I've been doing it. Would that be your first response? Or would it be that you're happy to see him? Or you were overjoyed to see him? See, a lot of people, even believers, if Jesus appeared in front of them right now, they wouldn't be happy. They would be afraid. 
and because you can't hide anything from those eyes. <laughs> and, and seeing those eyes and know that they're looking back at you, even if they're looking back at you with love, the realization of what's in your heart, suddenly all, all of the, everything that was covering those issues gets blown away and those issues are lying there. And so what I found, I'm not saying I do this 100%, is that <clears throat> if I purpose to have an honest, open relationship and, and truly let those hidden thoughts in my heart to the best of my ability come out at any given time, I find that they're not always where they should be. They're not always on the money. But there's a healing that takes place by confessing them. What does the Bible say? Confess your faults one to another, to another that you may be healed. Right? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We carry a sense of unrighteousness around with us uh, when we make bad choices and go and, and choose the darkness. You know, the, the thing about evil is that on the surface, it doesn't always appear evil. You know, and, and today, the, the temptation is there all the time to take a shortcut. Right, even if it means somebody else loses some of theirs, you know, there's a, there's a there's a there's a me first temptation that's present at all times with us as long as we're human beings in this body. And so, what I've learned is is that this this relationship part, if you really want it, the first step in in knowing God better, and to seeing the the spirit moving your life is honesty you have to be honest about who you are what you're doing and why you're doing it and that changes everything because sometimes you're doing things from the wrong reason and i'm not even going to say what the wrong reason is you just you know it and even if it's minor in your heart you have a check your spirit man your inner man that inner you the new you is telling your head <clears throat> that your motivations are are not right in this situation. And and sometimes you know it and you don't know why am I doing this? And you feel bad about it, right? That's that's your spirit. What does it say in 1 John? It says, "Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God, and whatsoever we ask we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we love one another and believe on the name of Jesus. It says that in, first, in the letters of 1 John, chapter 3, 4, 5, in that area. Right. What does the Bible say? The pure of heart, what will they see? Who will they see? The Bible says the pure in heart, blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. If you want to see God move in your life in a deep way, and, and this is what I believe, I believe that in the day of judgment, where the light will shine is in the deepest recesses of every individual's heart. And that, not necessarily the works that, that we did, when your heart is right, the works naturally follow. When your heart is right, the faith is there. The Bible says, we who have believed enter into rest. And I believe you can't really believe like you want to in your heart when you're wrestling with iniquity. And I don't care what it is that you do. You know, 
I mean, even if you're a believer and you're still living, you know, a life that, you know, maybe you're a drunk or you're you're hooked on drugs or you're hooked on pornography or I don't care what you're hooked on or the degree that you're hooked on it. Right. There's a part of you that hates being hooked on anything that's bad for you. There's a part of you that believes uh, that hates being enslaved by anything. Because you know that when you you have to fight not do when you have to fight to do the right thing or not or fight to not do the wrong thing however you want to look at it after a while that takes it makes you miserable you know because you know that you only have so much strength what does the bible say run from sin i guess it could have said walk from sin or turn the other way but it says paul talks about running from sin is because if you, if you don't get away from it fast you'll get sucked in by it you know, so the Bible says, if somebody sins, restore them in the spirit of meekness, lest you yourself be tempted. You know, I used to think sometimes certain temptations, I thought, oh, yeah, I'd be on that. I would never be stupid enough to do that. You know, but now I realize that everybody has their weak links. Everybody has weakness. And sometimes that changes over time. Sometimes something that you were never susceptible, suddenly you are susceptible. And something you were susceptible to the past, now you can breeze by it. You know, you got the victory in that area. But the, see, here we live on the earth with an, and we have a spiritual enemy. We have spiritual enemies. The Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, blood, but against principalities, powers, and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. It talks about that in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians. But at the base of this all is a relationship. And just like those moments when you talk to a friend... When you talk with a spouse, when you talk with a, a parent or, or someone in your family, those heartfelt moments can be experienced with Jesus, with God the Father, with the Holy Spirit, with all of them together interacting. You're conscious of their existence, of their presence. You're conscious of your own inability and your weakness. You're conscious of their ability and their power, and you lay it all out there. You ask for forgiveness where it's needed, and you leave that place with a new strength that you didn't have when you entered into it. You leave it with an inward belief that, you know what? I can say from the bottom of my heart that Jesus is my friend, and when things go wrong, they don't get buried. You deal with them. Maybe you don't deal with it as fast as you should, but, you know, you deal with it. And so when you get there, when you actually see him face to face, then there's not going to be, all that junk is going to be already dealt with. It's already dealt with, right? You're not going to go enter in from a place of shame. You're going to enter in with a place of, with, from a position of love, with, from a position of joy, and from a position of peace. And so if you're not experiencing the love and the joy and, and the peace of God, it doesn't come from knowledge, more knowledge, more information, more insight into Greek and Hebrew. None of those things do it. All that does is give you knowledge. <clears throat> and from a mental standpoint, that can just cause you to be puffed up. <clears throat> Excuse me. But it comes from a place of wisdom. Wisdom is the principal thing. And when you understand that the real power is in your relationship, 
right? The, the, the real power is in the ability to receive love from God and to give it back again, just like you, you can with another person in this world. It is the treasure, not only to love, but to be loved back. And both parties understand that. Both parties understand that that person loves them and that they love that person. And nothing is hidden. Nothing has to be hidden. Let's just put that. That's a better way maybe of putting it. Nothing has to be hidden. In other words, you don't have to lie to protect that other person. Because you realize that by telling the truth, they love you enough where they're not going to reject you. Right? Let's bring this down to an earthly level, something that maybe anybody can relate to. You see an opportunity. Now, this is probably me talking from a male position, but I'm, this is the position I'm in, so this is where I can talk with some authority on. Okay, you see a, a can't-miss opportunity, but it's going to require X amount of dollars, and the thought that your spouse may say no to it or not agree with spending that money, even though it's a significant, significant amount, you got to do it now. It's one of those things where you got to act immediately or the opportunity is gone. Right now, most of the time when you hear that, it's a lie. It's something that marketers will use to get you to get your money faster because they don't want you to think about it more. Because if you've got to think about it too long or if you've got to think about it overnight, you may walk away from the deal. Okay, so if you get put in that position, I don't care what you're buying. It's usually with high-ticket things, though. They want to close the deal sooner or later, and you know why. But you're caught up in it emotionally, and you decide to, you know, you don't want to hear your spouse say no, so you buy into the thing, and a week later, you realize that you just blew that money. Or it wasn't what you thought it would be, but you don't want to tell them because you don't want to deal with their anger. You know they're going to be angry, right? And so you hide it, and they find out. Now they're twice as angry. So we do things like that with God all the time, right? We're doing our thing. Um, in, in our mind, we feel that we got to read the Bible. We got to pray because that's what people who believe do. But we're not doing it because we find something else more interesting than doing that at the time or more important or more urgent. You know, we've all been there. And then suddenly you realize that you're not feeling good about your life. You're not feeling good about what's happening around you. You're not feeling good about yourself. And on top of it all, you're not feeling good about your relationship with God. So you come to a place of praying or opening the Bible and, you know, your head's hung low and you're asking for forgiveness. And then, you know, the enemy's right there shooting thoughts into your head. You know, you're just no good. You've done this before. You'll probably do it again. God's probably not even listening to you right now because he already knows you were going to do it. So he's off doing something else or half-hearted listening to you or, okay, he's going to listen to you, but yeah, and yeah, you're going to be forgiven, but don't even think about asking for help. Or, the only reason why you're going to pray is because you need help or else you'd still be off doing those things. Well, you know what? It's just like a relationship with a child. We're very childlike sometimes, and we do stupid things, and we repeat the same mistakes. But the Bible says what can separate us from the love of God and lists a whole bunch of things. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And if you sin against God 49 times in a day, then... Um, God will forgive you 49 times if, if you ask for it. If you harden your heart and you're just playing religious games, 
well, then you know you're never going to have peace because that part of your heart recognizes what you're doing. That's the thing. You can't fake peace and you can't fake faith, right? Because there's a part of you that realizes you're not all in on this. You know, there's still fear in there and, and, and there's still doubt in there. You know, uh, Thomas made the statement, Except I put my finger in the holes in your hand and stick my hand in your side, I will not believe. He just hardened his heart. Then when Jesus appeared to him and he was able to do these things, he was able to touch him and he just fell to his knees and said, my Lord and my God. See, that's the place we need to be in our heart because I'll just be honest with you. The chances of Jesus appearing to you like he did to Thomas and able you to touch him and all of that, it's probably not going to happen. And if you see Jesus in a vision, which a lot of people have, or something supernatural happens to you, don't you think that your mind is going to tell you down the road that that was just an imagination that really didn't happen that way or, or what? I mean, there's always an out. The only time there won't be an out is when you leave this body and you're present over there. That's when the reality of it will be 100%. And this place will seem like a dream. It will seem like it's far away. Right? Like the rich man and Lazarus. You remember that story? So just take these things into account, but realize that this isn't about just gaining knowledge. This is about gaining understanding, having your eyes open, hearing with ears that aren't just natural ears. Right? Faith comes by hearing. And Jesus said, let him who has ears hear. We're talking about the hidden man of the heart, the inward man. That's the real you. I want to read this. I want to read one more verse. Hold on a second while I find it. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 4. This scripture is used <coughs> talking about a women's adornment and, and, and there are denominations that they take this out of context too. But let me just read this to you. It says that, um, Do not let your adornment be merely outward arranging of the hair, even though, you know, now there's no, um, there's no differentiation in Christ, right? Male or female? Okay, so this applies to men too, but the truth here applies to men. That's what I want you to not get bogged down. This isn't talking just about um, women's dress. But it says, do not let your adornment be merely outward, ranging of the hair, wearing of gold, putting on a fine apparel, or just putting on of apparel, actually. It says the word fine was added in there. This is the New King James Version. But rather be the hidden man of the heart. The hidden person, it's worded here. With an incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. So think about that for a moment. It's the hidden man of the heart. In other words, it's not hidden to God, but it's hidden to the people around you. Right? That's what God sees, the spirit man. The spirit person. Right? That's the inward man, the hidden man of the heart. That's the person. That's the real you where you can have a strong relationship, an ongoing relationship that's based on truth and honesty. And so you may have just have to purpose, you know, Lord, I'm going to, I have to come to you, I have to, be able to talk to you and not be afraid. You know, there's a part of me that doesn't want to do what's righteous in this area. There's a part of me 
that loves unrighteousness in this area, whatever it is. You know, maybe you're addicted to food and you're vastly overweight. Maybe you're a glutton, right? And you just can't control your urge to snack throughout the day. And you realize it's bad. You realize it's affecting your health. You realize that gluttony is a sin in the Bible, right? But Jesus set you free from that. He took on the penalty so you don't have to take it on. And you have to realize that it's not your willpower that will change that habit in your life. It's his power. And even though it looks like you're not able to receive it and it's not manifesting as a reality in your life and you have prayed, you can't just walk away and harden your heart and not talk to God about it anymore. You can't give up. That's what it means when Jesus said men ought always to pray in Luke 18.1 and not to faint. Right? So, so don't do you really believe you could wear God out? Do you really think that you're such a special case and that you're so bad that God can't help you? No, that's the devil would like you to believe that so that you just self-destruct. And if you're in the middle of self-destructing, be honest with it. God sees it. Just say, Lord, I am in the middle of self-destructing. There's part of me that just wants to be done with it all and doesn't want to resist anymore. And if you can't give me the power or the strength in such a way that I can receive it, understand it, and utilize it where I am, receive it where I am at this point in my life, then no one can. In other words, if you can't have that kind of honesty between yourself and God, then all you have is religion. And religion will never get you anywhere. I believe your eyes are open. I believe you can see something now that you haven't seen before. And I believe that today is a good day that you can take this information that's being imparted from my spirit into your spirit. And this isn't something that I just came up with on my own. I believe the Holy Spirit inspired me to say it because he's talking to you. And I believe you're going to receive it and it will make a difference. This is the, the first day of the rest of your life, right? All right. That's all I have for you today. This is Jim. God bless you. Thank you for listening. And I will talk to you again soon.